Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. Good morning, Karen. How are you? I am well. A bit of a disruptive morning, Andrew, but we're here and I'm very pleased. How about you? Yeah, yeah. Look, I I can't tell you what the morning day's been like, but it has been a chaotic, chaotic day. I started being, do we have internet? (laughs) Oh, we didn't have internet. When I came to the office, there were people struggling around the roof of our new offices, connecting things. And I said, you're going to be out of here? And they said, yeah, 10 o'clock. And I said, well, we're on at 10.30. You better be. So (laughs) from that moment on, when they turned this on, it wouldn't turn on at all because it wasn't connected. So we got it on. And then the lights kept going up and down and up and down because in the new building, there's variable lighting, but its lighting is much more intense than our last office. So. But we can laugh now because everything's okay, at least for now anyway. So. I know it's of there's things coming across my screen every now and again, which I have no control of. Unfortunately, nobody else can see them, but they terrorise me. No, that's all right. Um, a really good, in terms of good news, though, it's been quite an eventful week in terms of a couple of uh, announcements across the businesses. Yeah, a new national general manager of HR, Brett Reid, has started with us. Whoa! Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. He he's yeah he's held some really significant roles in some really large organisations. So that's fantastic news for 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 you in terms well, of the and HR. And it's great for you in supporting with consulting. So he's oh, doing absolutely. <laughs> and that takes some of the pressure because Karen has been working crazy, 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 crazy hours. In lockdown, it's not an easy thing to do. So yeah, I'm, I'm very I'm happy. Pleased. And we've also got Karen Fairburn, who's um, a, a new Sydney principal who started with us too, an insolvency and personal securities expert. So that's... That's fantastic. Yeah. And now we're in our new offices here, which are out of this world. So for all the people who do support us, thank you for... You'll see people wandering past wiring and drilling and doing things every now and again. But these are beautiful offices. The staff are in here very excited, and I must say so am I. So it's been great. Do you want to tell you about chaos now? Yeah, let's start. Let's go. For those who have not uh, quite seen what's been announced this morning, this is uh, fresh off the, the press, eh? Yeah, so if I can just say to you, we, we had a fairly strong view about what the mandatory directions would be. That is until 9 o'clock this morning when Order 6 came through, which was not quite what the government said it was going to be. So we'll talk about that perhaps a little bit later. What we do know is the process that we've been helping you with now has been supported by WorkSafe following SPC, where they said that the consultation process that Karen and I repeatedly talk about is the right process to do, whether it's mandated by government or whether you mandate it yourself, the process of consultation is critical under safety legislation. Just to be really clear, the government can say you must do something, but you've still got to do it safely. And therefore, as we saw with quarantine and the state government being charged with 59 offences under the safety legislation in Victoria, the fact that you say you have to do it doesn't mean you can just do it any way you like it. You've still got to do it lawfully. So consultation is still critical. So really good news for the people we're working with that our consultation process stands up because it's measured against the SPC measure. Let's talk about people who want to challenge mandating vaccines. And that even is the ones which where we mandated without government order or now as authorised employees, which is anybody attending work effectively in Victoria now. Can people challenge this? Well, the answer is historically people have. I, we talked about Lolilo and Gillies and also Gurner in the state of Victoria back when first curfews were announced and the first lockdowns were announced and a restaurateur 
and another person took actions in the court which were sort of smacked around by the courts that just said emergency orders are designed to protect public health and no one knows completely what are the best answers because this is a fast-moving, dangerous pandemic, but we're going to try to support governments who try to do their best. And this issue about whether you can go out after 9 o'clock or whether you can't go to work or open, we're not going to actually countenance that sort of discussion because public health comes first. In the last few days, we've had in Victoria a relief teacher bring a claim in the Supreme Court of Victoria based on a mixture of political, ideological and quasi-legal ideas. That's going to get kicked out of court pretty quickly. New South Wales police officers, a number of them have brought a claim in New South Wales, not quite so fanciful as the Victorian one. Victorian one has a bit of a smell about it because we have a human rights charter in Victoria. We're the only state that does. And that does is inclined to look at individual freedoms. But this is not a freedom issue. I, I think people forget that democracies are not built upon individual freedom. They're built on a collective freedom and dual responsibility. But she is going to argue the Humans' Right Charter. That's great for all of us because it provides a bit more clarity. It's been a relatively unlitigated provision at the moment, so that'll be interesting, but she won't succeed. And in the last two days, a group of Queensland police officers have thought they'd mirror their mates in New South Wales and are going to bring their claim as well. And all I'll say to you is they're going to be unsuccessful. The mandating of actions by governments for public health orders have been held by the highest courts in states to be lawful and the policy that sits behind it supports it, so they're not going to succeed. Just thought I'd let you know, okay? That's now, really important, Andrew, because I know certainly with the clients that I've been speaking to over the last couple of weeks, that's a really big worry in terms of the possibility of getting into trouble as a result of, look, how are we going to be back? Are we going to be exposed or prosecuted potentially? Yeah. And look, there's risk there if you don't follow what we're saying. I guess that's the answer. It seems you could just do what the government says. Well, that's actually not right. We'll, we'll talk about what the government does say in a moment because that's pretty confusing. What I do want to say is that you're now left with these basic deadlines under the mandatory orders, and they vary based on whether you're a healthcare, construction, education. They've got slightly different dates of the dates when they start, but nearly everybody except construction starts off with you must have your vaccination booked in and done before 15, first vaccination before 15 October. Okay, so everyone starts off with that, that process. And it must be for a first dose by 21 October, depending, there's some slight variations. The reason I'm saying that is a whole lot of you have got some people who they are effectively mandating for all their workforce. Thanks very much for that, Tom. I think a lot of people are now starting to do it because they realise it just has to happen. And in any event, you can't have half your workforce mandated and not the others. And the problem with BHP is half of their workers are going to be authorised workers. Some of them are not. But let's just deal with what is an authorised worker under these mandates. They're people who have to attend, have to leave their residence to work, okay? That means not only do they have to, they don't have to just come to work, they have to people who, for the purpose of work, have to leave their residence. And the moment they leave their residence, they are an authorised worker and must be vaccinated. The purpose of the legislation is to give people breathing space. So it says, by the 15th, you must have had your first vaccination or have it lined up for the 21st or as an education the 25th. But some of you got as hesitant people, okay? Some of you got a large group of hesitant people and they are going to put pressure upon you and try and negotiate their way past. There's going to be some who just simply refuse to be vaccinated, okay? So what does that mean? Well, what the mandate has said is if people can work from home, exclusively from home, then the orders of vaccination accepting 
obviously, construction, aged care, health and, um, and education doesn't apply to them because they're different. They are people who work. <laughs> For everybody else, these people can say, look, I'm, I don't want to be vaccinated and I don't want to be vaccinated because I can work from home and I can work from home effectively and the government says under Order 6, if you can work from home, then you don't have to be vaccinated. But it also says if at any stage you can't work from home, you then become an authorised employee, must be vaccinated. Not easy, isn't it? Because that could happen in the future. Our difficulty is how do we manage people who resist the process? And they may be a large section of your workforce. In fact, if you decide to proceed to terminate, you mightn't have a 30 workforce. Many Victorians forgot their current work from home arrangements. That's right. So I just want to mention that very quickly. Okay, so let's break that down. Work, if you can work from home, is different from the current direction that you must work from home if you can work from home. Okay, so there's a, a significant difference because the current one is you must work from home if you can means it affects the inherent requirements of the job. Okay, whereas if you can work from home but it's not a direction to do it, then we go back to what is in the best interest of the business inherent requirements and therefore someone saying, well, I've done it for 12 months, I can keep doing it doesn't cut it. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, just, that's huge, Andrew. That opens a, a huge can of worms and around like what is the job. I'm not talking about because we're all stuck at home because we have to and that's, we, don't have much, we don't have a choice. But now comes the question around the job, which is well, something that you and I always go back to, right? I know. And look, and then you come to the issue is, well, what are the exceptions? And the exceptions under Order 5 were contraindications to actual vaccination and they've now been changed to include an acute medical condition which, of course, is helpfully completely, completely undefined. <laughs> so what does it mean? Who knows? But that's a base upon which a person can refuse to be vaccinated. But then you come to the problem because a person does have to be at work or does have to leave their residence to work and they are unvaccinated, then they are a risk to themselves and under safety legislation. What are you going to do to provide them in a safe place of work? We'll come to that a little bit later. What I want to raise with you is this. If you can't get people vaccinated, you make a choice between, well, do we remind people if they're not, they're not fit for the inherent requirements of the job, we've given them a direction to be vaccinated, we have two lawful bases on termination. I think most of us will say, no, we want to give people some breathing space. And there is an old common law concept which says that an employee has an obligation to be ready, willing and able to do their work. And by not being vaccinated, therefore, they have the potential of becoming a higher potential of becoming acutely ill than if they were vaccinated. Remember, there are those vulnerable members in our community, even with vaccination, as the statistics show, may become seriously ill or die, but vaccination reduces that significantly, okay? What we've got to understand at that stage is, okay, well, we can stand people down or suspend people, is that correct? Under the common law, we don't have to pay people because they're not able to perform their job. Now, we can pay them too, but what I want you to understand is when you suspend people, you must have an end date. Because the pandemic is not going away. And if someone's at home not doing anything for six months, you've got someone on your books. And if you're paying them, you're paying for six months just to stay home. Now, Kim and her team put together a package that shows you exactly how to do it. What I want to say to you is most of us don't want to be in a position where we terminate people who are hesitant or refuse without giving them one really strong final chance. And that means you've got to say to them, well, look, we are going to suspend you. You've got to make a decision on pay or not pay, and has to be the same for all employees, okay? So you may think because you've, you're not happy, well, look, if you're refusing to be vaccinated, no pay, 
if you're hesitant but will if we help you arrange it, we'll pay you, you've got an adverse action claim running at you, which you will lose, okay? So remember the rule about suspension is it's the same rule across the business. Now, I won't go into it too more. I just want you to know they're the changes that have come through in Order 6. There will be a table put out by Kim's team available from Monday which will show you exactly how the different orders apply, who they apply to, what are the dates. And if you've got any question, Soph's going to put up Kim's number at the end. You can ring Kim on the hotline effectively and she will help you through with one of the team. The reason we're having this conversation is because of a case that came out which should remind all of us that this is no joke, that this has a significant impact on your business. In SARA and GSR, Prachi Limited, an employee travelled to America as part of their work. They were unvaccinated. They contracted COVID and died and brought a dependency claim and were successful in that dependency claim. So what in the Workers' Compensation Tribunal and a common law division of it, they're saying is, and this is what I want, this is the lesson I want you to take out of this. If you place an employee at risk of contracting COVID or others as a result of that person contracting COVID, Without the appropriate controls, you will be liable. You'll be liable under workers' compensation. You can be liable under common law. You'll be liable under safety law. So the things we're talking about mandatory vaccination, people get very head up about mandatory vaccination. I want you to be clear about this. It is no different to saying to somebody, I want you to shoot off and go and visit that bloke up in the hills who's armed and dangerous and got a mad dog with him and... Get, make sure you go out of your car and you knock on your door and you say hello. Because what you're doing is you're putting someone in harm's way. Now, how you feel about the freedom associated with vaccination is a personal matter. As an occupational health lawyer, that is what you are saying. So there is a reason why the limitations around vaccination are so narrow because there is a recognition that if people are unvaccinated, the likelihood of serious injury or serious illness or death is heightened significantly and the risk of transmission to other people is heightened. And this is a public health risk. So all the issues around common law and remoteness washed away because what the, each state government is saying is we recognise that vaccination is a leading tool to prevent infection and transmission. And if you don't do it, every piece of law is going to find your life. And there's not going to be any nice judges sitting there going, I think that's a freedom because the law is absolutely clear particularly where the government has mandated that direction. Okay, now remember, if you don't comply with it, there is a fine. If people provide you with misleading information, there is a fine for them, okay? This cuts through privacy law. Kim can advise you how to manage the information privately, but the fact that someone tells you they've been vaccinated is not something that I would accept, okay? They can provide you with actual evidence and they're required to do it. So I just thought I'd bring up to speed on it, okay, because it's moving pretty quickly, as I said, we got it this morning at 9.30 as soon as it came off, so it's pretty narrow and I'll have much greater detail for you, but Kim and her team are completely up to speed and can answer any question for you. What I thought I might do, Karen, is last week we were we were going to talk about alcohol and drugs this week, okay, because there was a number of questions that came through and said, look, please give us some more detail, and then the orders came out. The case of Lasara came through as a case, and I realised if I didn't spend more time on mandatory vaccination, I wouldn't be doing the right thing by the people who are listening. So, but what I have to ask Karen to do is to provide a sort of three or four minute overview, which we will subject to anything crazy happening next week. 
we'll spend quite a bit of time around helping with drugs and alcohol. And the reason for that is very straightforward. People are starting to come back to work. Drugs and alcohol are a real risk given the fact that there's been a heightened use of alcohol and drugs at home during the pandemic. Evidence is absolutely clear on that. Mm-hmm. I'm a leading example on the alcohol front. And so there are significant risks that are going to be encountered, which we must address. So can I chuck to you, Karen, and you talk your way through that, please? Yeah, I'll probably need, need two minutes, Andrew. So what we've got here in terms of, I know that for many of you, you do have um, a drug and alcohol policy in place. For some of you who, you know, um, haven't had a chance or have had a need to do that yet, but feel as though that it's time, this here outlines a process for you around how it is you know, the best practice approach in terms of implementing a drug and alcohol policy. So I think first and foremost, based on intention, it's Generally, it's quite clear in terms of why would we need to have one, but I think in terms of your organisation and your context, it's really important to understand what's the problem that we're encountering at the moment or what is the risk or hazard that we foresee across our business and our workforce that compels us to do something about this. It must be risk-based, okay? So just don't take it off and think, oh, it's it's a good idea or we just should have something in place. Depending on the industry that you're working in, the type of work that you do, those are really significant factors that you need to consider. So be really clear around why. The risk assessment part of it is really, really important. In terms of, and why I say this, let's say talk about the logistics landscape. There is higher risk work that's being done in, let's say, in certain parts of a logistics business versus an office-based business. That's not to say that an office-based business doesn't have a risk, but in terms of it will help understanding the risk profile and certainly relying it on evidence is going to help you determine what type of measures you're going to need to put in place and the type of testing that you need to, to run in order to be able to counter those risks and mitigate those risks. Most importantly is consultation. Okay, this is OHS committees, people, there will be, well, with, if you have a committee or an advisory group, but you need to get your employees involved in this and consider their, their insight and feedback to be able to agree as a whole, now you don't ultimately, you'll make the decision based on the evidence that's available, but it's really important to hear from them in terms of the impact. Implement it and reviewing. Karen, can I just say on the consultation process, you call yeah. me two primary consultation processes there, which is safety and mm. neither of them require agreement, but they do require meaningful consultation. Yep. So look, that's um, just a really, really simple layout for you. So hopefully that that helps for those who are um, considering or have been meaning to get to this but haven't had a chance. But look, Andrew, like you said, next week, provided we get some more time, we'll get more, more deeply into the detail, but happy to answer yeah. any questions on the outset afterwards. And look, we'll dig deep. We talked about the New Zealand airline case, which started this process and how they configured risk and the allocation of testing methodology. And we'll look at the current two or three major cases that talk about how you do it. So it's great. So can we go on to the problem now, please? Karen, over to you. Okay. Boswell School was struggling to get all its staff to have their first vaccination by the 18th of October 2021 for uh, 25th of October. There are 22 vaccine-hesitant staff who had not been vaccinated yet, plus two employees, Richard and Rosemary, who said they refused outright. On 5 October, Boswell made it clear in a memorandum that from 18 October, employees would not be allowed to enter the school if they were unvaccinated and did not have a verified appointment before 25 October unless they had contraindications as understood under the order. That would change now to include an acute medical condition, okay, just so you know, because that's what's changed this morning. 
Boswell uh, held a virtual town hall meeting and then spoke individually with each employee. Five of the 22 employees said there was a vaccine shortage and they couldn't get an appointment by 25 October. Richard said he had religious beliefs that made it clear he could not be vaccinated. Rosemary said she had heart disease and even if vaccinated, it was not safe for her to return to work. She said she had taught from home and there was no reason why she couldn't continue doing that. She said it was a reasonable adjustment. Boswell sent a letter to all 24 employees who were unvaccinated saying that if they didn't have an appointment by 25 October, they would be suspended without pay until 1 November and they would arrange appointments for all of them with a local medical clinic. The letter said that this extension was a continuation of the direction to be vaccinated. Separately, Boswell wrote to Rosemary saying she must be vaccinated and return to school, adding if she provided medical evidence that she could not return, then she would not be fit for the inherent requirements of her work and her employment would most likely be terminated. To Richard, they made it plain that the religious ground was not a lawful reason for non-compliance and if he failed to have his first vaccination by 1 November, his employment would be terminated for failing to comply with a lawful and reasonable direction. Okay, let's go to the poll. And there's a lot of questions this week, okay? Okay. I should say, Karen, there's a lot of questions because these are all the questions we're being asked. <laughs> so I thought we might try and knock them over in the one. Well, rightly so, though. It's really confusing. This is the hardest questions I've ever asked you, by the way. So you are, there is no such thing as a failure. Because my answers changed at 9.30 this morning. Thank you so much. That's 70%. Okay, let me just talk about it. Was there proper consult consultation of the OHS Act? The obligation under the OHS Act and award is to provide, is remember the award is only for change that you are making. So where government order that change, it's arguable the consultation obligations under the award do not apply, but they certainly do as far as the safety, and that requires the identification of the change circumstances the impact it has on people and how you're going to accommodate those changes safely. So I think the consultation here is pretty good. It's very direct, but the um, safety regulators has recognised there was a need for urgency and a shorter, sharper, clearer version will be okay. So I don't think we've done too badly there. I don't think we get into trouble with WorkSafe and I suspect the award doesn't apply. Was it lawful to suspend all unvaccinated employees without pay? Isn't that a great question? And I asked you last week that you would have all gone no no and this is very old common law okay and that's interesting because this old common law has never been tested against circumstances like this but my view is it would be lawful okay i think if you've got half a dozen people they're genuine people and you can get them in in the next two or three days you know it might be 27 october my business i'd pay them for it but where i've got a number of people they're hesitant reluctant and unlikely to do it and I think I'd probably go across the board, no pay, just me. Was it a lawful and reasonable direction to be vaccinated? And let's see, what, everyone's pretty sure. Yes, it's absolutely lawful, okay? It's lawful because the government says it. And in these circumstances, it's also reasonable because the government says it and the public health, because the public health behind it says that it's, it's being made lawful because it is reasonable. Does that make sense? So it shows the imperative in the first thing you do is issue the lawful and reasonable direction. Before you bring in policy and everything else, you issue the lawful and reasonable direction and say why. Could Richard be terminated? What do you say about Richard? People feel pretty, the answer is section 75 of our act, uh, anti-discrimination legislation says that religious reasons do not overcome legislation. Okay, and, and this is a type of legislation, even though it's coming through order and therefore 
his complaint about having a religious basis would not stand and he can be terminated. Okay, now we get into tiger country. Could Rosemary be terminated if she had medical evidence that her heart disease meant that any exposure to COVID, even if vaccinated, could be a risk of serious injury or death? I think the short answer is this. Can we step back a little bit and say, is this an acute medical condition? I suspect it is an acute medical condition, even though it's not defined under Order 6. If the unequivocal evidence is that were she to be exposed, were the vaccination to place her at risk, then she would not be vaccinated. Okay, she could say, I don't have to be vaccinated. She could also say, and on that basis, I don't have to come to work because even if I was vaccinated, I would be at risk, which brings us to question six. She gets vaccinated, has given you health information that shows that even with vaccination because of her underlying condition, there is a likelihood that any infection she suffers could be serious or fatal. Yeah, can a family bring a dependency claim? I don't think that's even, we don't even get there for a start. The first answer. Attention, all personnel. <laughs> testing in the emergency warning system oh my is about to commence. There you go. Really speak quickly, Andrew, speak quickly. So, yeah. so the. Testing in the emergency warning system is about So the short answer is yes, you could bring a dependency claim. And yes, you breach the safety law and common law if you did it. And I've got to go, guys. I'm so sorry. Here you go. You're going to now hear our safety system. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. See you later. Bye-bye. He wasn't joking. Oh, sorry to cut that short, everyone. But, um, yeah, thanks for joining us this morning.